0: Alright guys, hope you're well. Welcome back to the Philosophy of Strength podcast. Today is a very different episode to the type of stuff that I have done in the past. Today I have my first ever guest on the show. The guest that I have on is Connor Galgi. So Connor is also a coach. I know him from... uh, Initially we met as he was a test subject for the master's thesis uh, research project I was doing. Um, so we, we met that way and then I've kind of kept in contact with him and kept up to date with what he has been doing online and the different content and stuff he posts on his Instagram. Um, he is currently head of SNC for Netball Ireland. He is also in the process of finishing a master's in sports psychology. He competes in bodybuilding. And um, as I said, he's also a coach. So we go into loads of different topics during the course of the podcast. There is quite a lot in this one. We go up to about an hour and a half. I have put timestamps in the notes underneath this, so you can fish through there. If there's any topics that maybe appeal to you more than others, you can click around and listen to different segments of the podcast. Loads of different stuff covered in this one. Everything from, um, you know, how we train people, how we got started with training, the role of psychology in um, making training a habit, and then to more obscure things like, you know, whether creatine causes hair loss. So, talking about some myths like that. There's loads of different stuff in this podcast. There should be at least something in here. That might be of use to you, or you might just find interesting. Um, if you like what Connor had to say and you are interested in learning more about him, maybe looking at his services, um, he has a website which is galgicoaching.com. He also has his own podcast called CG Talks, um, and you can find him on Instagram at Connor Galgey. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoy that episode. If you liked the format of having somebody else on to have a chat with, as opposed to just hearing my boring voice for the full thing, let me know. I'll probably do more like that in the future and hopefully get to chat to Connor again at some point too. Enjoy.
1: Okay. How are you enjoying the the, the podcasts and everything? They're good?
0: Yeah. Like I said to you, um, I think I was uh, messaging you there the other day, like, I don't really have any skin in the game with doing this. Obviously I don't make any money off doing it. I just do it because I already enjoy, um, chatting to people in general about training, like my friends or other coaches that I know. And, um, like it's the same reason why I like to write articles and stuff like that. It's really just an outlet for me to talk about this kind of stuff. I do direct like a few clients that I have towards some of the, the podcasts that I've done that have covered maybe more um, like essential topics that they might not fully understand. Like I did one on progressive overload. I did one on injury there a while ago. But um, something that I would really like to do, um, which would be great if i got a few more people listening to, to the podcast, is to do more stuff like this. So to have other coaches on because I'd be interested to get your perspective on this but I have kind of noticed that when it comes to like anything to do with fitness whether it's like the lifting stuff or even something more specific like bodybuilding like we're very um, America centric so like it seems like a lot of people whether it's following people on social media or reading articles or whatever we tend to look a lot to people from America which is fine because there is a lot of um, really good advancements coming out of there. And it's probably one of the biggest sporting coaches in the world. So it makes sense. But I just think it's kind of funny that realistically, if you're someone who's starting eighth and you're looking for somebody to coach you, um, most of the people that uh, people end up following are in other countries that aren't actually going to be able to do online. Well, they might do online stuff with them, but certainly not one-on-one. And I think that there's a lot of really good, coaches in ireland that don't really get the platform that they probably should so um i'd love to be able to get more people like yourself other coaches maybe even physios and stuff onto the podcast so that maybe if they have a message that um really resonates with somebody who's listening it could lead to them being able to get in contact with them um physiotherapy in particular because uh you know like i know that I've gone through a lot of um, issues with my shoulder. I had an injury in that since I was about 15. And I went through the whole process of going to different, quote unquote, shoulder specialists, doctors, uh, people who were physios, people that were just physical therapists. And I think anybody who's been through that process will probably know that it's a real mixed bag. And um, I think, you know, as coaches, we can kind of sit around and complain a lot about there not being enough regulation and and personal training and physiotherapy and all those kind of areas but i think actually the best thing that we can do is actually prop up the people who are doing a good job and give them more of a platform
1: mm. uh, No, for for sure i agree i think even for some of the coaches that i would know they wouldn't have maybe you know the top class qualifications or anything they're just really good at what they do and mm. i think even Sometimes we can get caught up in, um, you know, I have my, my bachelor's degree, and then I have, you know, you can go down the line of um a and you know all this, yeah, diagram. Uh, but it's that means nothing to in some cases an athlete, and it means absolutely, I guarantee you, means probably absolutely nothing to general population client. Yeah, um, what they want to know is how good of a coach you are, and and that is translated to you know whether you're a person and. Um, or a, a charismatic person or maybe you're just really good at developing interpersonal relationships things yeah. like that and i'd probably say you even know it as well the best coaches that you know or specialists that you know don't have massive instagram followings you know they <laughs> they're really they're yeah, really, really don't No, they're really they're really busy coaching a lot of the time that they they can't yeah. afford to uh you know be posting two three times a day um exactly with these really highly edited things you know um, I, I know I'm not even that high level of a coach and I know I don't I barely have the time <laughs> to do those things
0: yeah and I think that um, you know when I, when I first actually got Instagram it was probably back in 2015 I think and it was literally just because my friends were asking me being like oh you should get an Instagram like the a cool memes on there and all that usual crap and I initially started posting on it just kind of like a lifting log so mm. I just thought it was cool to have like video records. If I set a PR and a lift or something like that, I could look back on it, look back at what my technique was like and stuff like that. And, um, and then, you know, a few years ago I started kind of like shifting more towards using it from a business perspective, but I really reached a point where I was looking at some of the stuff that people put up and it was really impressive in terms of how well edited it was and, Obviously the amount of time that goes into it, but there's a certain point where you have to step back and kind of figure out what your job actually is, in that like I don't want my job to be a content creator for social media. I specifically got into doing coaching because I want to be helping people in a one to one scenario where I can actually coach them, and that's what I want the majority of my day to be. So you're dead right. Most of the people who are the best coaches I know, some of them don't even have social media. Um, and they certainly don't have time to be sitting around on whatever video editing software all day trying to get like the perfect filters on stuff and mm. sound editing and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I just think that people are under, understandably very distracted by the people who have the flashiest Instagram stuff, but. As you probably know there's a lot of people that have massive Instagram followings who aren't necessarily coaches in the sense that they're not working with people in uh, on a daily basis. Mm. Like we can we refrain from
1: naming names and and calling out no. anyone in particular but no. 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 <laughs> um That's I, come I to definitely mind, but I won't name names. All tons come to mind and um it's it's not a it's not a spite thing from from my point of view at all. No. Um I, I I really admire someone who gets out there and sees an opportunity and, and, and takes it for sure. What kind of gets at me is that if I get someone coming to me and say they've gotten a program off someone who you know has this massive following, who has a great physique and everything like that, and because of that, that's their expectations for how coaching is. And mm. then they come to me and I have a different way of doing it. And it's not necessarily a better way or anything like that, but it's the way that I would know and it's the way that I would you know, coach athletes. I would coach uh, my general population clients, anything like that. And it just seems like, again, I, I had an Instagram post post on it. and It's relative here. It's like I don't include a lot of fluff into what I do, and that mm. require that's in the same of my programs and in the same of my sessions. I just there's no need to you know add things in here and there that don't track towards some something in the in the end goal. Yeah. So like you know, I'm not going to um add in like this sort of mad finisher at the end of a session for the sake of you just then finding it really really difficult at the end when in reality your intensity during the entire session could have been much higher mm-hmm. and again that's that's something that i've seen quite quite common um through throughout anyone who's been coming to me and being like oh you know he has twenty, thirty thousand followers, or she has sold so many booty building programs, or or however. Much so, and I was like, yeah, you know, I I pretty I built my glutes pretty well with squats and deadlifts, and that's yeah, pretty yeah. much it. You know, I've never done a courtesy squat or anything like that, or or what they, whatever they're called. I, I wouldn't even know. We, we never covered those in advanced weightlifting in college.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's amazing. I was um, I was talking about this on the, uh, I think it was one or two podcast episodes I did ago and it was actually exactly on this topic. It was the topic was overcomplicating things. And I thought that was interesting. Like when I initially got out of kind of formal education and started actually working with people, um, I thought there was loads of stuff that I hadn't covered in college or something because some of the questions that I was getting about stuff were things that would never have come up, um, over the course of any of my lectures, even the practical ones exercises i'd never heard of before um weird like programming methods i'd never heard of before and so initially i was kind of thinking like jesus i still have like all of the stuff that i haven't covered and then i realized that like the places where people were getting this information from it's kind of like um i don't know I, i think it's sort of like a way of keeping people interested in training by just throwing out loads of really fancy sounding names for exercises and um, coming up with these crazy different methods. But I think it is also um, a stylistic choice in terms of coaching as well. Like I think that you and I are probably quite similar in terms of trying to keep things probably about as simple as possible. Um, I think the more that I coach people, the more that I try to, like you said, cut out the fluff, cut off the fast, try to get to what are the bare essentials that you can do to actually get somebody to where they want to be. And, um, for me, I think part of the reason for that is like you said, it's all about like being able to track things. So I like to know that if I'm doing an exercise with somebody and they stop making progress or something happens in the program where changes need to be made, Um, the less things that are going on in the program, the less exercises there are, the easier it is for me to figure out what needs to be pulled out and changed. If you have, you know, there's sometimes I see people doing like 15 different exercises in a single session. And the thing I always say is that that could work great. Like you could reach your goal um but regardless if you reach your goal or you know you hit a plateau or something like that it's going to be really really tough to understand why that happened if you have 15 different variables going at once um you know if you just put a random exercise in amongst 15 others you're not really going to know if it was that one that worked or the four other leg exercises that you're doing in that session
1: yeah for sure and it goes it goes the same with um the kind of comments you would get of oh my my shoulder really hurts when i do this exercise and like you're saying there 12 exercises in you're like well is it that that particular exercise hurts your shoulder or is it that by 12 exercises in your shoulders are really fatigued yeah and instead of maybe using the musculature you're swinging it about and it's causing some aggravation that wouldn't be there if you were to do it in the first two or three exercises and so i agree like you're saying cut the fat i at the moment my training is has gone through a evolution of, of of things and um i guess being from a bodybuilding perspective and that's the main thing that i do um there's kind of a glamorization of endless amounts of reps endless amounts of sets and hitting yeah. the body parts of every at every angle when in reality it, you know you don't need that much i have you know one or two compound movements per session and then three maximum five accessories mm. and i work with an upper lower split and i just cycle through that as many as many times as i can that allow me for a uh, effective recovery um so you just get a phone call but there's
0: there's no possible way that could be enough volume connor you're not getting away with your maximum <laughs> recoverable volume
1: yeah there's uh that that, yeah so (laughs) um as far as that goes i i don't know um it's 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 still out there for for the debate in terms of should should you save your hamstrings can handle 50 reps of extreme you Mm. know training does that necessarily mean you know you should be doing it like we can handle a year without food (laughs) <laughs> Does that mean we should be doing that you know yeah, exactly it's it, just because we continuously push our limits uh and, and we can do that doesn't mean that we should and it's really glamorized in bodybuilding especially now coming into ireland and in the uk you can see it specifically is this continuous training to failure continuous training to um uh, one one rep in reserves or um kind of getting up there an rpe of 8.5 or 9 um mm. for every single session and if you can recover from that, fantastic. But for me, I have a life to live. I have a regular life to live as well. Like I have to, you know, go and work a job. I have to actually have some cognitive function left to, you know, write a thesis. I can't afford to just be fatigued then for eight to 10 hours of the rest of the day after my session. Um, So you have to train as well. Like your training is going to take one to two hours a day um, for however many days a week, but you have to consider as well the other 22 hours of the day, you know, yeah. do you want to be just ruined and are you going to effectively, uh, recover for all those parts as well?
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's really funny, like nobody, it seems like in the fitness industry can ever be satisfied with just moderation. And it's like, mm. there's this pendulum that's constantly swinging from one extreme to the other. So, you know, we've gone from like high intensity interval training and one set to failure to now probably being on the other side of that pendulum where, you know, there's a lot of bodybuilding research that's very focused on the role of volume in hypertrophy now. And it certainly obviously plays a big role. Like the studies show that, but I think it's how that gets interpreted and applied. It's like, sometimes people will just look at that and forget that it's the fact that you are performing volume with a challenging weight that makes it stimulating for your muscles to grow. And I know I was very guilty of this when I kind of first started really trying to plan my own training out. Um, all that kind of volume and maximum recoverable volume stuff was starting to become really trendy and popular. And uh, I was just at a point where I was doing like things like six or seven sets of 10 on an exercise like a back squat. And none of the sets were actually in any way challenging. And Mm -hmm. it was only when I started using um, AMRAP sets or plus sets, sometimes they're called, which I've actually become a big fan of for this very reason. Uh, It was only when I started using those that I realized just how far away from failure I was. So I remember there was one day that I was doing, um, I, I think I was probably working with a weight that was supposed to be challenging for five to eight. And I've been using that for a few weeks and uh, I decided I was going to try an AMRAP set. I think I got somewhere between 15 and 20 reps. So that means that for the entirety of that training cycle up to then I had been training what in, in the minus range on the reps and reserve scale. Yeah. Um. And I've actually tried this with people before. I've had a huge amount of clients do this where I'll work them up to, I'll say, you know, um, this is usually people who've been training by themselves before they come and train with me. And I'll say like, what do you think would be a challenging weight for you to do on, on the squat for five reps today? And they'll pick something, let's say it's like 50 kilos and we'll go up to that weight. And I'll say, okay, this set you're going to do as many reps as possible. You're not going to go to absolute failure. We're going to categorize failure as being when your technique breaks down. And I will regularly have people guess 15 reps or more. And, Mm. um, it's funny because when I started off training, I started off doing a CrossFit style of training and it was just training to failure all day, every day. Like the intensity that I was doing was crazy. And then I got so far away from that that I was too far on the other end of the spectrum to where there wasn't anywhere near enough intensity for me to actually be triggering the growth that I wanted. So I just think it's funny how this pendulum keeps swinging side to side in the uh the industry and um it seems very hard for people to find that nice middle ground
1: yeah Uh, it's the constant i don't know why but it's the constant need to want to reinvent the wheel yeah and it's it's like the site the science is out for a large part of training you know we know what effectively works at this point when you're looking at very high-end papers in terms of hypertrophy or strength or anything like that, you're taking your training to a PhD level. And yeah. the, ter- the term that I says is, I kind of try and preach is, there's no point in having PhD level training if your nutrition and recovery is at a beginner rate. Yeah. Because you're, just, you're, trying, you're, you're expecting the performance of a Ferrari or a Lamborghini with a small one-liter engine in there and and that's and that's what's happening and like you're saying there there's a constant swinging of a pendulum i remember when when i used uh first on instagram back when i had the blue bar on the top and everything and everyone was posting their food selfies the the thing was um you know bodybuilding was really high volume high intensity yeah. um you know stringers all the time and everything and then there was a change to like a power bodybuilding where it was powerlifting and power yeah. Together, some of yeah power building that's it yeah. uh, i think i think michael hearn stormed that beach with everyone the, the, <laughs> the true the true, uh, true the of all natties yeah, yeah. <laughs> Same. and um from there then it kind of moved back to again maybe what it was in the 90s where it's just you go in you train at a heavy percentage just, you know eighty, ninety percent, but you're always pushing yourself for more mm. reps or just to in- intensify it and like that it wasn't until late into my training, in terms of like you know four or five years into my training, that I realised that I had 140 kilos on my back that I could do more than five reps for yeah. for three sets. That I was like, hold on here a second. If I just like keep going, if I don't rack it, yeah. I can yeah. actually just keep going and I can just keep doing reps. And I think it's funny when we uh i for myself especially is when i look back at my old copybook and i see it i'm like writing out three by 10 to 12 and like you know i'm writing out things and i'm limiting myself to those 12 reps because if i get yeah. to 12 and i have i have 10 left in the tank i'm just like no nope, because it's 12 reps that's what we're called for and we're not moving from that weight because and that's just a pure pure lack of understanding of what the science was reporting at that time of like here's the volume range and i was like okay cool anything with 10 to 12 in that (laughs) range perfect and um like 2.5s in each hand and 10 to 12 reps that's going to stimulate the growth when in reality it's like yeah do you are you like nearly dying at like 10 11 reps with like 40 kilos good that's what we want to see
0: Mm. it's like uh it's the way um, strength training programs love using even numbers. It's like if you do sets of seven, there's just no way you're making gains.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's nobody uh, ever writes you know, down
0: sets of seven or nine.
1: Set seven or nine. You know, you can go have your have your deadlift set up and include all your warm up sets and everything as warm up sets, and then when you get your working sets, you have to end off on an even number. Yes, yeah. it's, it's just. There's there's no it's a it's all superstition. <laughs> but you'll fail. You'll you'll just drop in your next meet. That will be it. Um, yeah. if you, if you've been doing sets of seven. But uh, what they don't want to know is that's what's actually the Russian Olympic weightlifters been doing sets of seven
0: all this time. Um, yeah, that's the know, key. That's the key. It has nothing to do with the massive genetic pool of lifters and gear usage.
1: Oh, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> sets of seven. That's that's all it's been. It's uh, it's the true secret. Um, but no like that, I think there's definitely with the um I guess I guess I don't know if we're still in the dawn of social media. I don't know how advanced it will go from here, but um there's at the moment, especially when you look at kind of fitness and stuff uh, and strength training, there's the likes of uh Bryce Schoenfeld, Alan Aragon, all those guys who are like, here's my research that I've done and they would post a snippets of the research then that like, gets taken by someone who's you know, like Jeff Nippard or, or someone like that, who's yeah. able to process and deliver it in a like, really user interface nice manner. Yeah. And then that gets taken by someone else uh-huh. and it's brought down to like 60% of your one RM is the is the right amount of weight to be yeah. lifted and it, you will get no injuries and you'll make super gains. And it's like, well, no, if you look at that, if you follow the chain mm-hmm. all the way up, you realize that it only has this specific pers- uh, usage. And it was this kind of population that it was used on. Yeah. And that's a massive thing as well when you're talking about any of these research papers or mm-hmm. like people say when scientifically it's what, what's the population that's been done on? Because a lot, of, a lot of the population is like elderly or it's untrained women or untrained men. Yeah. And, and you got to wonder then, you know, is that relevant to the likes of someone who's been lifting advanced for the last five, seven yeah. years, yeah. you know?
0: And uh, yeah, I mean, like they are, as as much as i love um trying to incorporate you know science into my philosophy for training and the things that i do with people i don't think you know we're living in a time now where people are far more on board with the idea of using the scientific method with training than they would have been like say 20 years ago or something like that mm-hmm. but again like going back to that that pendulum thing i think that The the worry is that people who haven't actually been involved in that scientific process when it comes to training studies, like you're going to be now like doing your thesis, they don't realize like what massive limitations there are when realistically, you know, sports science, it's really a soft science in the sense that it's not something, uh, nice and, um, straightforward, like say physics or maths, where you just put one input into a formula and you get the same output every single time. You're dealing with a really complex biological system, which is the human body. You have so many other factors involved, whether that's stress levels outside of the gym, the person's age, the person's training history, the person's diet, the person's sleep. Um, And when you then start taking a single study and using that to radically deviate from training practices that have worked for decades. Um, that stuff can kind of start becoming a little bit, um, dodgy. Like for example, I've had, you know, some people contact me about, um, stuff that I put up about creatine before. And, uh, I actually wasn't aware of this at all, but apparently there was a study I, well, I am aware now because I looked up the study and read it myself, but there was a study done a few years ago on rugby players. Uh, I think it was in the UK. Are you aware of the study? I think I know the study. You got to This go is the for. creatine like and the hair loss study.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a few on creatine, but yeah, the, the the endless. I'll let you go anyway.
0: Well, I just thought it was funny. So I'd never again. This is a perfect example of what I was saying about like you know I learned about creatine in college, but they didn't mention any of this hair loss stuff. Yeah. And then when you actually go away and research this stuff for yourself, you're like, oh, okay, it was one study on rugby players. And, uh, I think like the crux of the argument is that it elevated DHT, DHT is, I'm sure you know this, but I'll just say it for the sake of anybody listening. So DHT is involved in the hair loss process. Um, but so people will look at the study and the study didn't find that the rugby players who took creatine started losing their hair, like just started patches falling out of their head. They found that they had significantly higher elevated levels of DHT at the end of the study than the people who weren't taking creatine. So you could either look at that from the scientific perspective and say, Hmm, that's interesting. Maybe we should research that again and maybe narrow it down or something like that. Instead, people have said, Oh my God, DHT got elevated. DHT is involved in hair loss. Creatine causes hair loss. Um, the funny thing is um, something that elevates DHT even more than creatine is training and training also has a huge um effect on testosterone which is also involved in hair loss and something like 70 percent of men will experience significant hair loss by the age of 35 so Hmm. it's just one of those things that people sometimes like having a little bit of knowledge about the the idea of looking something up on PubMed can actually be quite dangerous because then you have these rumors start to being spread about you know if you take creatine all your hair is going to fall out and uh I just thought that was funny because before I did my degree or a master's or anything, I was guilty of just going onto PubMed, reading an abstract, and thinking all of a sudden I understand the science behind something that's far more complex.
1: We all we all have we've all yeah. been there. It's yeah. it's it's the abstract holds all the answers, and then it's it's only when you you're like for the first while it's like oh the methods and all that that doesn't actually. That yeah. doesn't
0: count towards <laughs> anything. Like it's that's not, just it's not like they're the entire thing that the validity of the study
1: hangs on. All I need is the abstract and the and the discussion and further yeah. and further further recommendations or anything like that. I, I I always kind of when studies like that with the creatine and everything, I think there was one even with the uh, ruby pairs as well in terms of kidney failure and everything like that. When yes, you look yeah. at the the dosage of creatine at that that they were taking as well, was like four times the amount daily that anyone would be taking is something like, you know, you're meant to take what five, three or five grams a day. And they were Mm -hmm. taking like 25, 30 grams a day or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, everyone needs to understand like that, that kind of scale. It's like one cup of coffee is okay. Kind of a day, but they were having the equivalent of, you know, eight to ten a day you know you're going to see some adverse effects regardless of what you're you're doing you know we all we're all okay with taking caffeine as a drug every single day but creatine which has proven benefits no not so much because it's a white powder and um, exactly sometimes i think if
0: creatine just looked like a fruit or a vegetable or something like that all of this stuff would just go away
1: Oh 100%. If it didn't come in a plastic sealed bag as a yeah. white powder it would it would be fine you know if if they just yeah. added randomly creatine to your ribena drink yeah. um you know everyone would be walking around and be like you know it's not that bad it's pretty good actually i feel a lot yeah. better. Um but i we, we've all been i think um subject to those kind of uh, links in 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 research for sure because i i remember reading one study one uh, once upon a time that said uh something something bizarre that some food was, was related to um, early death. And mm. I was like, oh, these are always interesting. Yeah. Um, well, what it finds out is that once you start to link the pieces together, that if you were eating this food, you were more likely to be in a caloric surplus for longer periods of time. Therefore, you were more likely to be obese. Therefore, yeah. you were more likely to have these issues. It wasn't because of the food. It yeah. was because of the person eating the food had a relationship with food in general and that led then to adverse effects and and that's what i think um for sure needs to be explained a lot more in in kind of things that are reported that yeah oh bacon bacon is terrible and you know Mm -hmm. it'll kill you it'll kill you if you eat it once it's like ah come on now you know bacon and pancakes is pretty good
0: yeah stop ruining this for us all
1: (laughs) yeah come on you gotta live your life
0: i was watching um have you ever watched uh funny or die before
1: uh, I don't think I, I might have watched it maybe once or twice.
0: So this is probably, there's a great video I'll send it to you after this, but um, like to me, like this just encapula- encapsulates the whole like ridiculousness of the whole nutrition and the media situation and the way they report on foods. But basically the title of the video is time traveling dietitian. So the video starts off with this guy in the seventies and his wife has just made him eggs and Eggs and steak and some toast, I think. And he's sitting down having that with a coffee. He's like, oh, it's great. Gonna be a great breakfast. Next thing, a, a time portal opens up and this disheveled looking dietitian runs in and goes, stop. Don't eat that. And the guy's like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? The eggs, you can't eat them. The cholesterol, it's gonna give you a heart attack. And the guy's like, what the hell are you talking about? It's like, we've been doing these studies. We found out that cholesterol is actually really bad for you and you're gonna die really early if you eat that. And the guy's like, oh, okay. All right, I'll get rid of the eggs then. So your man goes back in his little time capsule thing or whatever. Just as he's about to put the eggs in the bin, he comes back. He's like, wait, 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 wait. We got it wrong. We got it wrong. Actually, it turns out the egg whites are okay. It was actually just the yolk. So yeah, if you just throw the egg yolks in the bin, that should be all right. Anyway, this happens a few more times. He comes back. It's actually the steak that's going to kill you. It's the red meat that increases cancer risk. Um, then he comes back one more time and it's going to be the carbs and the bread. And then the last time... He comes back and he says, actually, you know what? We don't really have a clue. I think it's just genetics. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy just has this darrow look on his face like, you have just wrecked food for me. And Yeah, uh, co-
1: co- comes back in and is like, oh, was that cooked on a nonstick
0: pan this entire time? No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> the, the heavy metals and that, they're in your blood. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, for sure. But I just thought that just so beautifully encapsulated just how stupid the way all of this stuff gets reported in the media because they just take a single study... Probably completely misrepresent what the scientists have actually said, and all of a sudden people are massively confused about nutrition, which I actually think is it can be very complex, certainly if you want to get into the fine details mm-hmm. of it and if you 're working with certain populations. but on the whole, like I think most people, if they actually thought about it, have a pretty decent idea of what a good diet should have in terms of some fruits, some veg, some lean protein, making sure you 're mostly drinking water and um it's just one of those areas that I find just so uh, tiresome in terms of how overcomplicated it's made.
1: Yo, for sure. It's it's. If we're talking general population, I would even go as far to say as dependent on the sport, nutrition is is overly simple. Like it, it really is. It's yeah. you you have to just look at and especially if you're a grown adult you know how your body responds now or you at least you should you, yeah how your body responds to certain foods mm-hmm. i know for a fact like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna let everyone in on a secret here for the last 12 days i've eaten nothing but pizza pretty much um, and <laughs> I, I was like they're, they're, the last three it's it's been my birthday on the 17th of july and since then i've been on a pizza just making pizza that that's what i've been doing you do you man my body's my body's been fine that's white yeah. bread uh, with a tomato base and a lot of cheese. I've yeah. been fine. I haven't died. You yeah. know, I haven't gained 10 kilos or anything like that because I've because it's calories. I look at it and I'm like, this is calories. And, you know, everything encapsulated that breaks down then to protein, carbs, and fats. Yeah. And then that breaks down a little bit more. And it's only when you get past the protein, carbs, and fats step, I think, that you need to, like, what level of, in depthness do you want to look at your nutrition past protein fats and carbs like do you want to be considering your monosaturated your polysaturated fats do you want to be mm-hmm. consider, um each amino acid in your for your proteins do you want to be considered you know your low low gi versus your high gi for your carbs are those things you want to consider and considering those things will it make you more adherent to a um yeah. Effective nutrition lifestyle because if you're measuring those things and you're actually like, Oh my god, this is so much effort, I'd rather just eat a double decker. Then we're probably not, yeah. we're probably working against it, you know. Whereas you're probably better off just being like, Here's how you could do it. And I've seen so many ways of like, you know, measure with the palm of your hand and things like that that work really well, eat to 80% full, things mm. like that. You know, everyone's gonna have their different method of doing it, but. it it does boil down to, unless you have a medical condition, if you're losing weight, it's a calorie deficit. If you want to gain weight, it's a calorie surplus.
0: Yeah. And like, it's like you said, um, it's about what is going to actually be sustainable and something that you can stick to. Mm -hmm. Like the main reason why I always kind of disregard any of this stuff when people want to get into like really complicated things, like you were saying, if it's going to be like how many high GI versus low GI carbs should I be taking in? And I'll always like step back and take it from the viewpoint. Like, is this realistically something that you are interested in factoring into every single food choice you make between now and the time that you die? I really like training and I know how important nutrition is for training. I'm definitely not at an elite level by any means in powerlifting or anything like that. But I like it enough that I'm willing to make a fair amount of sacrifices in my life to hit the odd PR. There is no... Way in this world that I am going to be thinking about low GI and high GI carbs between now and the time that I die. So, what's the point? It just doesn't make any mm. sense because all you're going to do is maybe think about this stuff for like six weeks or something, uh, factor it into your meal prep and stuff like that, and then you're just going to get fed up of it and you're going to stop. And any benefits that you might have got, although I think it's probably dubious that that would make any difference to the stuff that I do. Um, but even hypothetically, if you were going to get benefits from it, you're going to lose them anyway, once you go back to eating the way that you were. So I am always like, if somebody wants to change their diet, um, like I would almost go as far as to say, like, just cut out like the one chocolate bar that you have every day for the next month. And let's just do that. Cause if you could make that a habit for the rest of your life, and obviously you can have like a chocolate bar every now and then, but I mean, like if if it's a regular part of your day and it's putting you over your calories and it's having an effect on your health, if you can sow in habits that are going to be able to sustain for the rest of your life, that's way more important because the problem is that people go on a diet. Like I don't know anybody who has actually either lost a lot of weight or made a significant change in their body composition and kept it that way. Who's thought of it that way. Um, they've actually just thought of it as making better food choices, which is what it comes down to. Like all of this stuff, whether it's you're doing a keto diet or intermittent fasting, um, like at the end of the day, at a certain point, you just have to decide to make a better choice when you have that craving for something. And there's loads of different strategies you could use that might be better or worse for some people. But um, sometimes you just got to give people that tough love and say, look, you have to just decide if this is actually something that you want to do and if you don't care about losing that extra percentage or two of body fast enough to make that harder choice that's fine but let's not like waste our time with trying intermittent fasting for a month and then giving it up and putting a lot of weight back on for sure
1: it's it's i'll, I'll give two juxtaposed kind of stories to this that one of my very first um kind of clients um back when i was i was doing it all for free and the experience of it yeah. Um we've all been there and um, it was training three times a week i was like yeah that's perfect um yeah. and we were sorting out the nutrition and everything and this bit of a bit bit of a heavier set guy mm-hmm. um but the stalemate was that he was not willing to give up his drinking four times a week <laughs> and I was uh, eventually after. I'm assuming debating, this is more
0: than just a couple cans.
1: This is eh, more than a couple cans. I think at minimum it was it was four cans, but that was okay. that was a, a rare occurrence. And right. um, because you got to think as well, this was early stages of college. Everyone was still loving yeah, life, yeah, yeah. and uh, no one had been hit hard yet with exams and and mm. thesis proposals and everything. Um, but that obviously it was only a few years down the line then when the doctor turned around to him and was like, Hey, look, as a kind of in your mid twenties, this is a real issue. You know, your, your, your weight in general, is a real issue. And it was only then that was like, Hey, I need to kind of clear things up. It wasn't me going, Hey, you know, can we, can we, can we change something here? Can we, you know, there's only so much buy-in that you can create for something like that. um, Because someone has to, choose themselves and that that might be something that people disagree on but again the the, the kind of the, the soft science is out on that i guess because it's yes. all psychology but people have to decide themselves first and have to be willing to go through that process themselves whereas in suppose, again using myself bodybuilding is one of those things where you do treat it as a off season, on season kind of thing, or, or a cut phase. And it's the only time that I've ever kind of heard of it or seen it where it's been treated almost quote unquote healthy because let's face it, nothing about uh, cutting and bodybuilding is healthy realistically. It's it's yeah. terrible. It's terrible from a metabolic point of view. Yeah. Um, but I lost something like 30 to 35 kilos from January to September. This was not weight that I needed Damn. to lose. Yeah. Th- this is, well, back in, it was actually back in 2018 so when we kind of when we were first met that prepare that prep was my um last prep that I've done and I ended up going from 105 down to the kind of mid 70s right um so that wasn't weight that I needed to lose like you know mm. I said, around 90 to 95 kilos kind of comfortably um so, so everything was a little bit that. too far you pushed it a bit far but in the name of here, this is what we need to display kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But for anyone who is in general population, you don't need to push it down to the yeah. low percentages because you'd look pretty you look pretty good at like yeah, yeah. 10%. Everyone does. And um, or for women a little bit higher around the 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 high teens and twenty percent, pretty phenomenal physiques. Um but there comes a, there comes a point of diminishing returns in terms of that, of like, why are you dropping your, your quality of life is so low and you're just miserable when you're dieting for those last like eight weeks. And it's become glorified, I guess, by some people who follow bodybuilders, but aren't actually bodybuilding. And it's like, you don't need to do a water cut and everything for a festival that you're going to in like two (laughs) weeks. It's, it's, it's completely unnecessary. You're going to be dehydrated
0: enough by the second day.
1: Oh, it's ridiculous! You look, you look insane. Just carb up up onto yeah. that point, and your first night of drinking will just it'll suck your yeah. suck you dry. But um, it's it's completely unnecessary. Like you see these kind of different methodologies and everything being used for purely recreational reasons, and, and not for like competitiveness. Yeah, and it's like uh this it's you shouldn't be doing damage. Like this, it's like it's like purposely just stamping your feet into the ground, but you're not a marathon runner. Yeah, and it's like you know, are are you actually achieving anything in that in that case? Like you're just damaging. Yeah,
0: I think there's just um, I think there's a really poor understanding of what's involved with getting to look like those people on, you know, Instagram Mm. or on the front of a magazine or whatever. There's a great poster that we actually have up in our gym. I don't know if it was up there. Uh, when you came down that time but it's from Precision Nutrition and it basically has um, a cartoon drawing of a man and a woman in their underwear and it's showing um, them as I think like say for the man for example it has the man at like 25% body fat 20% 15 10 and then I think like 5% and in each one of those phases next to the drawing it has little bullet points about what is involved with being at that weight. So for example, when he's at 25%, it says that, you know, he's going to be in a higher risk category for all all cause morbidity and mortality. Um, He's going to have difficulty with doing low level exercise. Uh, But then it also has the positives. So he's able to eat most foods that he wants. He's able to go out loads of times a week. He's able to get drunk two or three times a week if he wants and then the interesting thing is that as it goes down, it starts showing you what the pros and the cons are for each one. So it's not just presenting it as like this idea of this is going to be perfect and suitable for everybody, because there is this conception that everybody is going to be really happy and satisfied if they could just get down to 5% body fat. Because at the 5% body fat level, it actually has, you know, some science suggest that they could actually be damaging their health from a hormonal point of view. And then I think most importantly, it has information there, like, uh, I think it says, like, uh, this person is likely to struggle in social situations, particularly those involving food. So you're going to be that person at the family barbecue who has to say no to every hot dog or slice of cake or whatever. You're going to have everybody saying, oh, Mr. Fitness. Yeah, you're top aware <laughs> <laughs>
1: shoveling in cold you- oats or something into your mouth. Just- yeah,
0: cold boiled chicken and broccoli. Yeah, um, been there. you know you're probably not going to be able to have dessert very often you're not going to be able to have drinks with friends very often and it's that aspect of stuff that people just don't consider and I don't blame them because until you've gotten anywhere close to that level of fitness or body fat percentage in this example um, it's very hard to know what's involved in it. I think that from looking at Instagram for example you might just think that you train kind of hard maybe three or four times a week and maybe you just do an okay job on your diet and if you do that consistently you'll get to look like that um and unfortunately i've been training for 10 years now and doing an okay job with nutrition and i look nowhere close to jujimufu it's really upsetting me yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's
1: that that is for sure the uh I guess at first, when I was kind of getting into it, it was like, how do I lose belly fat? And how do I get abs? Yeah. And, you know, when I was getting those questions first, and I still get them to this day, but I I guess I can answer a little bit better. But when I was getting first, I was like, you don't understand. You don't begin to fathom that spot reducing is not a thing. And now it's like, oh, well, we can work it. We, you know, we can get there. Mm. But there's this constant. I I definitely agree with. Um, oh, he puts up on Instagram that he only eats four meals a day, and these are his meals and everything. Ah, I don't know about that. Like that's my that that's what he's doing right now. But he yeah. is, you know, he might not necessarily have be been dieting. His metabolism has recovered from the dieting phase, so now he's in a, a kind of surplus. Um, but his his metabolism is um, keeping up rather well, so he's not in like every single day is a thousand calorie surplus or anything. Um, you know, I know a lot of guys who look really, really well and um, are in the kind of mid teens of, of body fat and are, who are eating four, four and a half thousand calories a day. And, you know, that's and that's the way they are, because they they spent the last two, three years in an off season in, in terms of yeah. bodybuilding and have just slowly incremented their calories you don't start at four and a half thousand calories if you want to become a bodybuilder. That's, you no. don't just jump in and be like, I want to eat four bagels a day and you know, tons of chicken breasts and everything. That's not how it starts. And for sure, if you're dieting, it doesn't start at 1600 calories. It does, yeah. That's not where you, it's not 1600 calories. And again, I use the word dieting, but that's the bodybuilder in me. Um, you, you don't make a nutritional lifestyle change where you're wanting to lose weight you don't start at a lower amount of calories or anything like that you find where your base is at and mm. then you work from there. And that, that could yeah. be whether you increase your daily expenditure or you create a deficit then through, through nutrition.
0: Yeah. Um, actually one thing I wanted to go back to that we just briefly talked mm-hmm. about there, but I thought um, might be interesting was, you know, you were talking about if somebody wants to lose weight, for example, at a certain point, it really just comes down to whether they actually want to do that or not. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to get your perspective on that because I think when I started off coaching people, I was very much of the mind that, you know, if you just presented people with enough information or you just gave them enough motivation, you could get them on board with wanting to do different things, like, you know, lose weight, even things that are, um, you know, in the best interest for their health. You know, a lot of people don't care Mm. about you know, getting to bench a hundred kilos or something like that. And rightly so. But um, I think I've probably now pushed much further in the other direction where, you know, having worked with enough people, I don't think I can think of a single time when somebody has made a drastic change in their activity levels or their diet um, from just somebody telling them to. Now, I could understand that maybe something might have happened in their life, whether that's, let's say, you know, you lose somebody to heart disease or something like that. And that kind of maybe like puts a bit of fear into you. Like this is actually a real thing or like the person who's been smoking their whole life and then they go for a scan and they're, they have the lungs of like an 80 year old or something like that. Mm. I could see that happening, but I think for the most part, it's really something that, is still going to be based on you deciding to make a change about that and sometimes i actually kind of i also wanted to get your idea on this like sometimes i think about um how i got into all of this stuff in the first place because i had absolutely no interest in anything to do with sports or fitness when i was younger and i used to put a lot of emphasis on the fact that i was exposed to um a really cool exercise program in school with a great coach and all of that stuff is true but sometimes i wonder if that was just going to happen anyway you know e- even if the gym wasn't there in school would i just by my very nature have gotten interested in it in college or something like that and gone in and i would have just ended up finding a way to pick it up somehow because that's just the way my brain works or whatever um so yeah what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah so we will actually start with that one uh, first in terms of the, the training because um, it's only a conversation that I had recently with two of my friends who aren't really into fitness or sport yeah. and it's, it's kind of a we're, we're a, a bit of a confusing trio if you were to see us uh, together because I, I, I'm the big kind of me head into sports the other is an engineer and then the other is an IT and it's like yeah. how 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 did you guys how have you stuck together? And my friends um, group is
0: a complete mix bag like that as well. There's about yeah, three exactly. of us who are mad into weightlifting, and then some guys have just no interest at all. And like we all just like, yeah, we just all do our own thing. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like
1: you have your your niche these over there, and I have my niche here and, yeah. and everything. And I guess from the question was posed, we were we were driving around and I, we asked um one of the guys asked do you ever think that your life would be different to my other friend if um, we had been involved in sport more or we'd gotten involved in sport? Uh, Do you think your life would have been any better or anything like that? And your man turned around and said, no, I don't really think so. Like, I think we've turned out pretty well and everything like that. And I said, "It's, it's a, that my life has definitely changed from my involvement in sport and coaching, but it's difficult to look back and think, hey, would it have been any different? Because mm. it's hard to put yourself in a sports environment because they're so varied. They're like, depending on the sport that you're in, depending on the coach you're in, depending on the team, it's hard to manifest a sport environment and and try and then assess what results you would get, get out from that. Like, I didn't, of course I gained physical adaptations from playing sport and everything like that, but I gained a lot more in terms of social um, skills from sport. Been able to control my emotions was one of them. Um, you know, when I was younger in sport, I would get very flustered. I would get very upset if we lost. Um, you know, I'd be very invested into the game. And then throughout kind of developing the playing sport, I learned how to control my emotions. There's no way of knowing if that would have been something that I would have developed and learned if I wasn't involved in sport. Yeah. But I can, I know myself that is something I learned from playing sport. Yeah. And so it, it is, it's something that I tell everyone in terms of like parents and teachers and everything figure out some sort of activity or sport that a student or your kid might enjoy it yeah. doesn't have to be a traditional one it doesn't have to be ga it doesn't have to be soccer it can be like lacrosse it can be tennis it's, because i guarantee you a small country like ireland we still have teams for these sports i didn't know netball was a sport until i started coaching the international teams and then i was <laughs> like hold on what's up here like this is a pretty cool sport it's very popular and um, like you begin to learn like the the needs demands and, and the analysis yeah. and it's like this is fantastic Um, for training for me how it ended up becoming a thing was I, I think this is the most cliche thing ever but you're like hey I want to get more attention from girls let's start training and then as soon as you start training you realize you get more attention from lads i was about to say how wrong you were (laughs) yeah how wrong you were it's like instead of being in the gym you know and you get you getting like girls looking at you you're getting you know massive six foot three guys you know looking at like a 16 year old what do you do for your
0: arms bro yeah what do you do for your arms you're very vascular forearms (laughs) and it's like
1: yeah do you have abs lift up your top and i'm like oh what's what is going on here pretty quickly it's the only environment that it exists. um yeah. In in a in gym, you can't be walking around Tesco's and you know. And I
0: don't you. think you can discount the the really high percentage of women who actually don't find muscle attractive at all. There's there's oh, a very large section of women that actually like skinny guys.
1: An unbelievable my girlfriend at the moment, my girlfriend for the last well four years and, and everything and you know hopefully more hopefully more it's up to her it depends how much <laughs> more i get um but it's a she could take it or leave it and yeah. uh, in her own words you know she she likes she likes me a bit chunkier and she doesn't mind me if i get a bit leaner but she she says like it doesn't doesn't even begin to phase yeah um very it, it becomes soon like you realize hey Looking like Henry Cavill or like any of the 300 cast, it's pretty irrelevant actually in terms of like being an attractive person. Yeah. All that really is is like you just need to appear fit and somewhat mm-hmm. healthy, and that can be done. You don't need massive amounts of muscle to do yeah, that. Yeah, like um, I was about to
0: say, the baseline for what the average person would consider like somebody looking in shape is actually very, very low. Um, for sure. For sure. Like I'm always amazed when I I'll see like maybe I'm watching like a film or a TV show or something and, and a guy will take his top off. And it's not like he looks like he doesn't train or anything like that, but mm. like it, it's certainly not something any different to what I would see. Like maybe quite a few guys who go into the gym regularly have, uh, people would be like, Oh my God, he's shredded. Or sometimes you see this where like a, a movie star will get into prep for a role. And there's some people don't get me wrong. Like Christian Bale has had some crazy transformations. Tom Hardy, chris hemsworth but sometimes you see guys who just lose like a little bit of fat and have like the tiny outlines of abs and maybe like a small vein on their arm and uh like the media report on them like getting jacked and shredded for this role and you'd be like you know it's really you don't actually have to do very much to be at the base level for what someone would consider like a, a nice athletic physique I, I
1: I think the one that pops the head most is the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Chris oh, yeah. What's that guy's Chris name? Pratt has, Chris has a Pass. yeah yeah he has a scene where he takes his top off or something yeah. and like he's clearly this is him pumped up to the max oiled up and everything under the yeah. best light. and uh, yeah yeah he looks okay he wouldn't place on a bodybuilding stage or anything like that but he, like he looks okay for a beach yeah. he looks pretty good. Meanwhile, in the exact same film, you have Batista, that is as hell, veins <laughs> coming out of everywhere. Point and nobody's like yeah that dude that's yeah. that is the peak physical form instead they're like oh look at chris pratt he looks so good this was his regiment and everything yeah and it's like oh look there there comes a point in definitely in building muscle and, and strength of diminishing returns where uh if your if your goal is being attractive to the mm-hmm. opposite gender because uh, or or the same gender whatever you're into um and there becomes a point where um it just it it doesn't mean anything anymore it, yeah. you know you have to be a quality human being as well you can't just rely on your biceps for for social uh, stat or, or anything like that um but to to move then to your your the first question where we Yeah sorry you were about, saying that
0: you you got into it for that reason initially oh yeah oh sorry to i i
1: got into it initially for that reason and then i began to be like oh this has a, a really positive benefit to like other parts of my life as well because obviously if i was looking feeling better and i felt like i was improving i was gaining a lot of confidence myself and um, i between the years of probably 14 to 18 i kind of changed in terms of like i became a lot more confident in my own public speaking and my body image was was changing and evolving um i'd probably say like now my body image is probably terrible in terms of what i would perceive to be but that's just from years of dieting up and down the there's are looking jacked man oh thanks it's a this is double xl if anyone's wondering <laughs> <laughs> but the um, around the back yeah <laughs> yeah it's that it's from it's that homer simpson thing where he has the clips all the way behind him to make yeah <laughs> um the but it, it, then it shifted obviously I was in, I was embedded in like three or four sports at one point, uh, I, like 16 or 17. And um, while I was doing training, I was training four, week, four times a week resistance training. And I was like, I really love this style of training more than I enjoy going to Gaelic training, more than I enjoy volleyball training, more than I enjoyed soccer training. Mm. I was like, can I just do this? And then obviously I discovered bodybuilding and I was like, can I just train for bodybuilding competitions and like use that as my competitive thing? And you know, that be my, my outlet. So I was like, when I was 16, I was like, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try one of the competitions. This is how young I was. But I think back to it, I was like ludicrous, the craziness for a 16 year old in a, in a, in an out like country uh, secondary school to decide, Hey, I want to do
0: bodybuilding. Um, I'm and sure you got some is, flack for that from the lads. I, the
1: oh, it, it was unbelievable. I got flack from teachers as well. I not want to play stupid. for
0: County though?
1: I never crossed my mind. Never wanted to play <laughs> for County. I uh, was given the opportunity to go for the trials and everything. Never wanted to play for County. Um, yeah. Instead, I wanted to cover myself in tan and get myself into one of the tiny suits and, and go on stage. And <laughs> I talked about it on one yeah. of my podcasts. I said, it was that experience of getting the tan, doing that and, you know, dieting, getting down to like
0: yeah.
1: uh, a decent shape and everything and dieting down for it and, and, and whatnot, learning that experience as well. But I was like, I really like this. I, I really enjoyed getting on that stage for that 15 minutes, that posing and everything. And yeah. I was like, everyone needs to try this because this is like, it was it was euphoric. And I was like, this is an opportunity where I've done all this work and now I just get to display it regardless of the result, I just get to display it and everyone gets to see it. Yes, it's being judged and everything, but Mm. I get to go out and I am the deciding factor of how it's perceived. You know, I I can go out there and I can, you know, do my little moves and be all scrunched up or I can, you know, make a grandiose show about it and go out there. And from there on, after my first show, um i was like this is this is it this is a bit for me you know and i was really hesitant i didn't want to identify as a bodybuilder i did not want to do it because i was like that's that's one way of just shoehorn me in now um and even today i would be very hesitant to say oh i am i i usually say i do bodybuilding i compete in bodybuilding You're a physique uh, competitor i'm a physique <laughs> competitor yes because i have to get that word compete competitor in there to sound like an athlete um but that's that's where i am now and and my training again i don't compete um or i don't train to compete uh i i compete because i train um because yeah. i love training and and the competing is it's just the cherry on top of things
0: i think that's i mean it makes a lot of sense given that uh the training is going to make up probably 99 percent of your time anyway
1: oh 100 yeah it's 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 not a glorious uh back-to-back competitions that's the thing about bodybuilding you compete maybe a f- two times a year um if if you're if you're really good at it um yeah and then like for me at the moment i probably won't compete again until maybe 2021 and mm-hmm. uh, 2022 maybe so that would be nearly three four years of of no competing and you just have to be able to long game it you know and, yeah. and that's even doing this that's taught me it was like you know finishing college i was like i want to i want to start coaching you know this nfl team straight away and i was like no, let's look at the long game. Let's look, what do I need to do? What skills do I need to develop? Uh, and everything like yeah. that. And that was something, again, I learned from training was just having the patience and being like the long game of of it all is, is definitely worth it for sure.
0: And um, is, is that something that you're still working towards? The idea of working with a sports team and like an s capacity or are you more interested in maybe working with people who are interested in bodybuilding? Good question. Um, it's, it's something that I kind of ping-pong
1: constantly back and forth with myself. Like, at the moment, as I said, I'm working with Netball Ireland, um, working with two of their international teams um, through an SEC standpoint. And so it's 40 to 50 athletes um, kind of doing the programme at the moment, and, um, which is its own difficulty due to the COVID. You're kind of uh, doing everything oh, yeah. remote. Yeah, and um, you know, I've actually ne- I've never met a lot of them, um, I, because it's been doing them through online. It's been through the course of of this. Yeah. Um, what I'd say is what they've taught me, and it, it's juxtaposed to my other team experiences, is, is that they are just as important for me sticking with the team than I am. To them sticking with a program and by that i mean their constant feedback and just general support and um adherence to a program makes me want to be better for them yeah and it's not just me you know de- delivering things and 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 filling them with content and everything like that and, and then for them just want me to stay behind it, it's very symbiotic that there's you know there's a little bit of give, there's a little bit of take and it's constant back and forth and that's not what I had experienced before in team settings before in team settings i I nearly experienced like here's a here's Connor, he's a magic wand, he's gonna fix this about us and and you know I get eight oh weeks God. yeah, <laughs> it's like I get eight weeks to develop something that nearly takes like two years, and it's like yeah. I don't know guys, and you know any injuries happen, you get the blame, mm. but it it's been a it's been a fantastic experience so far, and I really can't wait to um kind of get some. Uh, in-person contacts and one-to-ones and everything going i don't know if it's something that i will continue to pursue long term in terms of developing with teams i think always the way i wanted to go was working with individual athletes more so whether it be a physique competitor or it be someone who's part of a team who wants to make improvements in a certain area anything like that you know i think it's everyone's own dream to have their own performance facility and everything Mm. um but that would be yeah i can, I, I I can see that this like ooh, yeah performance fit the city uh alico plates rogue standard, everything all in there that would be yeah. a, a thing of beauty um but at the moment realistically it's it's like a uh, you know getting someone who wants to make specific changes or has very specific goals they're the kind of clients that i'm like you you will you will yeah, snatch you right up. Your your application gets fast tracked straight through, um, yeah. because they're the people that I kind of I, I really want to work with and gain experience working with. Because I'll probably say you're very similar. Is that yes? Everyone's different, but there's only so many times you can go through like a, a, a fat loss or a a hypertrophy phase and everything with a general population clients. And I guess the goal with the general population client isn't to like continuously coach them for like six months. It's to give them skills to build themselves and then go out there and develop them and just know what they need to do themselves Absolutely, to build yeah. a program for themselves. You know, the end goal of a coach is to make themselves redundant.
0: Yeah. I 100% agree with that. <laughs> um, like if somebody wanted to stay with me for the long term because they enjoy it or they want m- more kind of input into things, then that's great. But um, if I have somebody starting off with me, the initial goal is to get them to the point where they don't need me, where they understand the basics of safe technique. They know what it feels like to have their background on a deadlift versus to have it in a nice arched position. They understand the basics of things like progressive overload, like how to put a reasonably logical program together. Um, what, you know, smart nutrition looks like. And I've had a lot of people like do that and then they say, Okay, I think I, I know enough that I'm happy enough to go off now and follow a program, like whatever, say they're gonna go do like five three one or something like that, and um they might only come back every every few weeks or every other month even for like a, a look at the technique or to help them out with something, and that is one hundred percent fine because um mm-hmm. that is what training under a coach did for me in school um it kind of like you were saying earlier about how like it's really important to um expose yourself to different things until you find what it is that you really like um like for me when i was growing up had no interest in sport whatsoever because as far as i was aware sports and fitness just meant team sports ball sports like football or basketball or hockey or whatever and i was crap at all of those and i tried them and i didn't like them and uh, i'd get picked last for all the teams because of how bad that i was so you start to just think then that you suck at anything to do with sports and fitness so you don't want it to be a part of your identity and uh, that's why i think you know it's really important that if somebody can get exposed to the sort of stuff that we do. I just call it lifting. Like obviously there's between bodybuilding and powerlifting. But I mean, if you look at it from a broad perspective, we're all just lifting weights and trying to get stronger and more muscular. Um, And if that appeals to somebody, um, I think that it's one of the most valuable things you can do to to teach them how to do it in a way that'll be um, effective and safe for them to do for the long run and enjoy as a part of their life. So yeah I think the benefits of doing one on one coaching with people is huge compared to the team stuff is is fine but there's so much to get that gets left on the table so many questions that go unanswered because you just can't keep track of things in the same detail that you can if you're working with someone one on one
1: for sure for sure it's with with my myself at the moment it's a uh, I have them all working through Google Sheets. So it's, a, it's an update through that that system. Um, yeah. So they have their own templates and everything. They fill that out through there. And that that creates less work for the coach tenfold, okay? Instead of emailing back and forth, Excel, everything yeah. like that. Something like Google Sheets, perfect. There's still things that slip through the gaps, be it people don't fill in the training diary, people don't fill in the templates, um, yeah. be it that people are following their own PT stuff or anything like that. Um, and obviously, if you're not there in person, you don't know the intensity of, of how they're training or the whether they're executing things that you would like to see. And that's very difficult to manage if you're one person and there's 50 people all asking you variations of the same question. Yeah. And you can't just answer very generally. And that's, that's where... I guess uh, sometimes you see coaches and you're like, ah, they don't really do much. You know, it doesn't seem like he doesn't talk to me much. Just because he doesn't talk to you much doesn't mean he's not talking to either 39 people um, almost on a daily basis, you know. Um, And especially now in uh, sports psychology, which is what I'm studying the Masters in, um, it's constantly referred to, it's like, you will appear as if you have zero people working with you or like you'll have no clients it's because people don't want to appear like they have to go to a sports psychologist even though we're not actually quote-unquote psychologists like we're not here to diagnose you with depression or anything we're here to work on your motivation and yeah uh, work towards your goal setting and everything it's kind of like Um, going for therapy exactly exactly and again hope the hope would be that 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 stigma kind of lifts over the world and everything but there's there's always going to be things that slip through the cap uh, uh, the the gaps in terms of um, team training and and team coaching for sure um, yeah. because it becomes now obviously maybe if I develop better as a coach I'll grow forty pairs of eyes and be able to keep an eye on absolutely everyone at the same time but I I, I don't see that happening from an evolutionary point of view
0: yeah I think um, I mean like in one sense. It is, it is going to be uh, a lot harder to provide the same individualization, like in a team setting as you would obviously working with somebody one on one. But I mean, like, that's just kind of the way it is in the same way that like, you might create a training program to put out there on the internet for people to use and I mean, that's done with the um, pretty heavy, the implication that, you know, you're not going to get the same service for that as you would doing like a one-on-one session with a coach. It doesn't mean that it's not still extremely valuable though. And I mean, I think we both know that for the most part, like when people are beginners, um, and I mean like beginners in resistance training, which actually most athletes are, um, you don't need to go into huge amounts of individualization to be able to get them, to where they need to be for you know being fit enough to play their sport and not get injured Um, and there's obviously more benefits being able to work one-on-one with people but i think one of the best things that i've tried to do um or things i've had the best success with because i do um i suppose you could call it team strength and conditioning in a school setting with rugby teams and hockey teams and then also you just get kids coming down to use the gym and you could easily have a situation where you have 30 plus kids training at once is to uh, try to create um, coaches within the team. So like we were saying about how it's really important to be able to get people to the stage where they understand enough of the basics that they can manage their own training. I try to do the same thing in the school where like I never just tell the kids to do something because... Now, if they're first years or second years, it's like, yeah, just do the damn push-ups and squats. I'm not going to stand here and debate with you while your friends are laughing in the background about why strength training is important. But certainly when people start getting to that older age of 16 or whatever, and they start getting a bit more mature, um, it's a really big thing for us to have guys on the team who maybe have a bit more experience who can tell somebody, hey, your back is rounding on the squat or, hey, shut up. You've been talking for 10 minutes. Well, you should have been doing a set by now. Um, And so you can kind of create multiple pairs of eyes who obviously aren't going to do the same uh, job that you would if you're looking directly at that person, but you can at least make sure that uh, nobody is going to drop a dumbbell on their head while you've got your back turned the other direction.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like the exact uh, setting that you gave there where it's a, a team setting within a school or something like that is a prime opportunity to... Develop almost like leaders within within smaller groups, and and have those groups. Then you can do it every way you can do it positionally or anything like that, and um, depending on the sport. But that's just taking someone who might have a little bit more experience or not even experience, but someone who's a little bit more confident maybe in what uh, their ability to speak. And so that they wouldn't be afraid coming to you as a coach and being like, hey, I have a question about this in requiring to his form. Whereas mm-hmm. your man who's doing the exercise might want to ask you about his form. And he might say, you know, is, yeah. his bow, is his back meant to be rounding at the top? And you just say, no, his back should be staying. And he goes back then and he's able to correct it. Yeah. And I guess from a coaching point of view, I guess this is where we nearly all got started. It was when we brought our friends training with us or trained with friends and we were like, you know, seeing them deadlift and it was like, nah, nah, come on, keep the chest up, keep the chest up, you'll be looking forward, bring the bar closer to your body. Yeah. All these things, like we'd be given cues that we didn't even know ourselves were really cues. We were just kind of like keeping ourselves in check for everything, yeah. uh, for sure. And that yeah that's probably one of my favorite things to do in, in terms of
0: teams is develop that kind of leadership roles. Yeah. Um, I know we've been running a while here, so there was just one or two other topics that we talked mm-hmm. about that I'd like to cover before we wrap it up. Um, Cause I don't know how many people are going to be interested in listening to us talk for two hours as much as I would like to do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I wanted to go back to just the bodybuilding topic, uh, briefly because one thing we were talking about at the start was this debate that goes on about is bodybuilding a sport um, I I think that the question is kind of redundant and stupid like people will have these debates and they'll start pulling out like definitions from the Oxford Dictionary about well actually it says a sport is when you do competitive motion like, like who cares re- realistically like I know for a fact that Um, most competitive bodybuilders put far more work into their training and nutrition and have to just think about the thing that they're doing for a huge portion of the day more so than somebody who might be involved in maybe more of a skill-based sport like I don't know maybe tennis or golf or something like that Um, and I think it's undeniable that the amount of work and dedication that's required to get to any kind of a high level in bodybuilding for me makes it a sport. And also there are plenty of sports that are judged. Like people will say, Oh, well you're not really um, competing. You're just posing on a stage and then you're judged based on that. But I mean, there's judges for sports like gymnastics as well and ice skating. And I don't think that every sport has to be in a format where you're scoring points or, um, you know, actively, physically competing against one individual or. Yeah. You don't have to like punch that. somebody in the face to beat them at an activity. Um, although I do enjoy watching that more than a bodybuilding show. <laughs> Those are my thoughts on it anyway. I would just be interested to get your perspective cause you've actually done bodybuilding competitions before and you'd be more, um, kind of, uh, familiar with the community than I would be. Yeah. So
1: for, for me, for for sure, I I find bodybuilding to indeed be a sport and hot take I know, um. <laughs> but I, I I think we need to look at you know what else are considered what what else is considered a sport? Okay, tiddlywinks apparently the, is a sport. Did, chess is a sport. Or chess is an IOC recognized sport. that has its own Olympiad. You know, yeah. do you cons- do you consider chess is sport um you know and then you gotta ask yourself you know oh well yes i do because it requires this this and this and well then your contradiction what you've said about this physical sport over here and 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 so on so i think i don't i, I never understood why there was this kind of gateway or boundary that you had to surpass to be considered a sport or to be considered an athlete or to be considered a sports person um I would be hard pushed to consider myself an athlete or an elite athlete or anything like that, because to me, I just train and I enjoy training and I occasionally compete in in bodybuilding. If I took it maybe a little bit more seriously or competed at a a higher level, maybe those thoughts would change. But for the moment, I I consider myself a coach a lot more than an athlete.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, Consider myself an athlete unless I was either being paid to do it or I mm. was competing on a level that actually put me in contention to be like the least.
1: Yeah, for sure, and and that was the question I posed when this came up in lots of discussions before, and I said, "Do you would you consider someone who competes at a high level um, in in bodybuilding?" do you consider them an athlete? And the answer was generally no, no, no. I was like, well, then do you consider someone who plays junior C football, who rolls out of the pub on a Sunday and, <laughs> and then goes out and plays for 70 or 80 minutes? Do you consider him to be uh, an athlete? Yeah. And it was like, oh, well, I was like, well, you have one here who's competing in traditional sport and you know, they're called players and they're called athletes. And then one here that you're saying is not a traditional sport because it gets it gets judged and i think some people are just uncomfortable by the aspect of it that you know what it contains um that it would just be a, an uncomfortable thing but it it to me it look either way whichever side you're going to land on whether you think it's a sport where you don't think it's a sport um, it's it's that's going to affect you the most like whether you think it's yeah. not a sporting, or you decide to get really angry about it that that affects you because everyone else in the bodybuilding community doesn't doesn't really give a rat you know yeah, some it's will yeah
0: whether you go in and train on monday or not exactly they're they're not
1: going to be thinking uh what you know when they're when they're bench pressing when they're training then you know they're doing levels of resistance training that you'd be hard pushed to see in some elite settings in, in terms of athletes um when they're doing all that and they're you know they're paying attention to nutrition and everything they're, they're not paying it Given a damn about what you have to say on some internet form or you know what you said to them in person about bodybuilding not being a sport they're yeah. just doing their things and they're of what i would consider a very athletic mindset of being this is my objective these are the steps that involve it what you say right now doesn't fit in that 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 pyramid or or, or that spider's web of, of thoughts it just—I don't have time to process it. Don't have time to think about it. Yeah, I need to do this, and and that's that—that's where I stand on it. You know, it's—I um, for sure, when I get into my my prep, when I'm kind of like coming towards competition, sure. Um, I think I do have maybe a little bit more switch of—I I start to consider myself a little bit more athletic or yeah. have that kind of athlete type. But you got to consider that was there were times when I was doing you know, 45 minutes of cardio four or five times a week on top of resistance training sessions on top of everything else. I was like, "What?" at that point, what defines me, what separates me from being athletic at that point? You know, when I'm doing all the training, everything, is it literally just the competition aspect that I'm not competing every week or every second week? Because I don't know, like it, it becomes, like you said, there's tons of definitions, there's research papers on you know will develop their own definitions of athletic athleticism and athletic identity and everything and um, i i i don't know particularly what to tell you where to, to fall on i just know where i fall uh, and and how that affects my life for sure
0: yeah uh well i know that i have um immense respect for anybody who does uh bodybuilding even at a recreational level um because Realistically, as I'm sure you're probably aware, a huge amount of what's going to dictate uh, how good you are at bodybuilding is probably genetics. But Mm -hmm. I mean, even if somebody doesn't have the genetics to be the uh, Irish champion or something like that, they could be working extremely hard and pushing themselves in the gym for PRs and doing a really good job with their nutrition. And they still have that athlete mindset. Um, And as you said, you could be a guy playing on a C team for your rugby club, not really giving a shit and just running out of bed with a hangover and playing a few minutes and then trying to pull some girl in the nightclub, telling her that you're an athlete. So I know who I respect more anyway. Um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, so I guess to kind of close it off, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, I'm probably going to ask anybody that I get on as a guest. Uh, this is, um, two questions so first thing i wanted to ask you and um don't over there's not trying to put you on the spot or anything like that i just think it's mm-hmm. interesting uh question a guy who i don't really like very much uh used to ask people this all the time uh, charles poliquin um he Sorry. uh now deceased actually rest in peace both um he used to just say a lot of mad stuff. It would be incorrect for me to say that I don't like him, but um, probably wouldn't be like the first port of call that I'd go to for nutrition or training information. But I think he did have a really cool idea whenever he would um, interview people or have chats with people, which was to ask them what is the biggest thing that you've learned in the past year that you think other people should know about anything to do with training could be, um, related to psychology or nutrition or anything? Is there anything that has had a significant impact, a piece of information that you've, uh, that you've come across in the past year?
1: It's,
0: good. it's a good question. Um, I guess
1: the one that sticks out the most for me over the past year, and it, again, it, it probably strays away from training and is more kind of just general your, your life and, and whatnot, more from a psychological point of view. Um, I learned during an activity actually within college and it was just off the cuff and it kind of clicked clicked with me and I think we've all had scenarios in maybe our early teens or late teens where we've looked back on it and like I really really messed up there like I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that and you'd be sitting there at night (laughs) <laughs> you'd be sitting there at night time about to go to bed and then boom that exact thing happens again yeah. in your mind and it's it, it plays over and you're wide awake again. and there have been a few events that definitely happened in my teenage years that I was like geez I really regret that that was a bad move on my part and um one of them was just the, the one that sticks out the most is I said something to someone and I, straight away I was like that was stupid like Never do that. Like really think before you say it. And it was during this, this activity that I, I was like, I can really let that just continuously cripple me and look back on it. And you know, my heart rate goes up and I get a bit sweaty thinking about it or I can begin to like treat it as like my moment of learning. Like uh, that, that, that at that point it was just, it clicked with me and I was like, it is just a series of events that continuously happen and then we choose to respond to those events and react to those events. I was like, and something that can happen that you made a mistake on and you've accepted that you made the mistake on, you know, you can hold a grudge or whatever. I'm not there to judge anyone who does, but I've accepted that I, I made that mistake and it was something then that I was like, let myself get nervous about and anxious about for the next few years because I was afraid I was going to say something again, similar. And, it was only then, and in the class, I clicked, and I was like, "Use it as an opportunity of learning." You know, don't mm. let it as, don't let it continuously come up and creep its face again and again and again. Remember it for sure. Remember it. Don't don't forget it. Don't yeah. forget the event. Don't forget how you felt. But learn learn from it, and don't think of everything that you do from now on as walking on eggshells or stuff like that. But just think of it as an opportunity to learn to develop and grow and that's the person that you're going to be you know sometimes sometimes you do make the wrong move i think even myself now i'm still going to make wrong moves you know um i yeah. think it would be naive to think that i'm just going to sail away but i'm not going to look at them now and be like holy this is life done this is it this, is, this has been massive instead of like kind of think of it more objectively once the healing process has has done it done its uh stay for sure
0: yeah i mean i'm probably going to look back on this uh podcast in five years and be like oh my god what the fuck was i saying yeah uh but no sorry
1: you're you're sitting there with like four cameras pointed at you now and you're like oh i only have one camera set up oh god Um,
0: (laughs) no i never i never want to get to that stage of uh of content creation but um yeah 100% agree with that and i really think that um I, I think that especially regress, I think is probably one of the most poisonous modes of thinking that you can put your mind mm-hmm. into. Um, because it's just completely unproductive. You're never going to change something that happened, and um, there's no point in just, you know, whipping yourself, um, punishing yourself. Obviously, like you said, acknowledge that it happened, you know, apologize to the person if you can and try to learn from it. But um, kind of dwelling on us for too long um, and letting it put you in a, a shitty mood is not going to help things. Um, and uh, the other thing that I wanted to ask you, um, if you could, so how long have you been um, training for an amp? doesn't have to have been like bodybuilding, but just doing any kind of physical training. I, so if we, if we take from
1: sport, I started sport when I was six. So I'm okay. 23 now.
0: Okay, let's say, uh, let's let's um, narrow it down to just gym training. I started when I was 14. 14, okay. Oh yeah, so what age are you now? 23, nearly 10 years. Okay, so yeah, you're about the same, um, same amount of time as me. I started when I was probably 15 and I'm 26 now. Um, so let's imagine that... Th- You could take a time machine back uh, to little Connor when he's 14, going in for his first gym session. What would you tell him? What would be the advice that you would give him that you think would help you out? That
1: the basic movements are probably going to be the best things that you'll ever do. Don't get caught up on this... Leg press. Don't get caught up on this chest-supported row machine because it looks fancy and all this. Yeah. Get barbell, get a dumbbell, and just test them out. Learn the technique from those, and then from there, get get into your machines and everything like that. And also put a hoodie on. No one wants to see you in a stringer, um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's for sure. Uh, I was like, I was I was way ahead of myself, going in my River Island vest, black vest, the going in yeah it was it was too much too much and um but for sure it would be go in and and do do the basics you know better basics is something that i learned from a coach and it's like just better basics because it that that is all it is like i said previously it was like don't continue to try and reinvent the wheel i was mm. like you go in and you just if you want to do bench squat and deadlift just progress those three movements for as, as long as you can while as a beginner. You don't have to do anything madly complex or anything. If that's the side of training you want to do, yeah. if you want to get into CrossFit or anything like that, again, I would say start at the basics. You know, Don't go and be like... Um, uh, you know, hit the the hardest wads that you can do um, straight off the bat. Like It's like, oh, I saw Matt Fraser do this. I'm going to start doing this. Matt Fraser is an, an absolute animal. It's like anything yeah. he does... Only Matt Fraser can do, you know, the lad sits in front of his TV for eight hours and phone rolls all day. Um <laughs> that's that's he's a different breed. He lives in a um, different
0: universe to us. It's
1: different oh, a wholly different. Like, like like I'd be lucky someday if I had 10% of his traps. Um, <laughs> but he they they for for sure. One of the things that I would say is definitely the better basics and and just work through those compound movements for sure.
0: Yeah. I definitely agree with that. That'd be one of the big ones I would tell myself. I'd probably tell myself, um, "Hey, you know that uh, new five-three-one program that just came out that your coach gave you a spreadsheet for and told you to do? Yeah, you should probably actually do what that program says, and uh, you, should pretty, take, pretty <laughs> you should probably take pretty dope. You probably take ninety percent of your max instead of a hundred and twenty percent of what you reckon you could do on the bench press. Yeah." yeah that's, that's
1: that would be a really good one as well it's like don't just take like a five by five and just presume you know it but actually read into it and be like oh so i actually need to follow like certain protocols every week yeah. and just load up as much as i can do for five reps and that's it like
0: and i used to be very like when i was in college i was very much against people just following one of those those uh, standard programs that are very generalized but one thing that i've realized now is that Um, the huge benefit to doing those programs is they're so popular now and so many people have tried them um, that if you actually do encounter a problem like you hit a plateau or something or you're encountering some kind of problems if you google that that problem there is like thousands of posts of people on message boards who have run the exact same training system and have actually figured out ways to tinker that around so like when you think about the amount of people who've done starting strength at this stage or 531 or i don't know what some of the other ones are west side for skinny bastards or any of the the yeah. really popular strength training programs there's actually i think a huge amount of benefit to getting on those because if you just try to make it all up by yourself um you can sometimes just get lost in the minutia when you hit a plateau for sure and like that would be
1: um one of the benefits i guess that you don't have to go on some dodgy forums nowadays that you know everything's nice and clean and there's social media and everything i I actually
0: have a soft spot in my heart for the forums there was something the forums (laughs) just something really funny about like some of the screen names that people had some of the insults that were slung around um, some of the
1: some of the things that people would put under their profiles is like the things that they're like successful. It's like someone types a comment and then their bench squat and deadlift are beside yeah. it. Like, and you know um, you could have
0: been talking to a ten year old, um, for all you know, but you know anyone, anyone for sure. Apparently, um, he's I, a Russian champion with a five hundred kilo deadlift. So
1: for sure, and he spends his free time on Teen Nation. Um, the 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 thing I would say definitely building from that is even as a kind of intermediate or advanced uh, of a five by five five three one or anything because so many things people have done it there's definitely someone out there in your same training bracket that has done it as well nearly Mm. and so if you're only if you only gain set amount of weight or um set amount of reps on it or whatever um the the end goal is you can look and see compare maybe to other people i know we're not meant to do that we're not meant to compare but from just a research point of view we'll say that you can say oh yeah i'm, I'm kind of in that medium where yeah i'm I'm gaining as about the, the same rate or i'm making the same amount of improvements uh, as other people have as well um yeah. with my similar circumstances and and that's that's fantastic to have as well I'm, I'm quite jealous of anyone who starts training now to be honest
0: i am but at the same time um I just think there's such a potential for information overload with the internet. I for mean, sure. I, I was I, guilty of, it. of, I was guilty of program popping in the days before mm-hmm. social media was really a thing. I can only imagine what it's like now when like every time that you go on through uh, Facebook or Instagram or TikTok now probably is gonna be like the next big one. Um
1: I have to get on TikTok, man. I, I, I'm not on it, but Gar- if you follow Gary V, is that Gary V? He's oh, constantly yeah. he's constantly telling me to get on TikTok and just do whatever I do on TikTok. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, like I don't know what fits into it. It was Vine when I was like relevant to, to that. TikTok so. is
0: basically Vine. It's uh yeah. But, the memes on there are very good. I don't um <laughs> I don't get lineage. any of the dances or anything like that. Um, and you definitely don't want to look up any of the fitness content on there because you can imagine um, what standard you can get across in the 15 second video.
1: I can imagine what standard it gets across in 15 second video, but also I can imagine what's popular as well. And yeah. I would say it's a lot of a lot of uh, leggings and a lot of sports bras um, yeah. based on my, my exposure to the fitness uh, social media on Instagram for sure.
0: Yeah, 100%. Right, we should probably leave it there. I don't know how long we've been talking for, but it's definitely over an hour anyway.
1: That's perfect. It's been enjoyable, man. I've enjoyed talking anyway, for sure. We've been going, all right? Thanks, Gillian, all right? I'll talk to you again.
0: Talk to you, man.